Well, let me say happy Mother's Day to the moms and the future moms that are here. I hope you feel loved and honored on your special day because you really are. I'm really grateful for my mom who's uh, watching this that uh, she never gave up on me. And uh, she has uh, been a great example to me of what it means to be a woman of God and walk with God to love God. And I just want to honor you moms today. We're going to be in part two today of a series we've been, we started last week called Dumb Things Some Smart People Believe. Dumb Things Some Smart People Believe. And we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 22. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open up to Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. It's Old Testament. Go to Psalms and go right. You'll find it. Uh, if you've got a Bible app, we encourage you. If you've got a phone, uh, iPhone or a, a smartphone or iPad uh, to get a, a YouVersion Bible app and download the that so you can access the Word. But we'll be in Proverbs 22 and some other scriptures in Proverbs. We'll get there in just a bit. The last line in that video, so true. You never grow out of being a mom. You never grow. It doesn't matter how old your kids get, you're always mom. And I think it, it's, in my humble opinion, it's also one of the toughest jobs on the planet. One of the toughest roles you'll ever have is that of a mom. And nothing prepares a mom for motherhood quite like the school of life. And again, if you've been a mom more than a month, you've already figured that out, that, wow, life has taught me much. I thought I knew it all until I got into it. In fact, maybe before you were a mom or as you started off on your journey as a mom, you might have written a book or a blog that was entitled something like this, 10 Rules for Raising Godly Kids. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to young moms and think, man, I, I've got this, I'm ready, let's go. But the longer you parent, the more kids that you have, uh, the progression of that title may look something like this. It goes from 10 rules to raising godly kids to 10 guidelines for raising relatively normal children which becomes five ideas that might work if you're lucky. And then about the time your kids are teenagers, it's called three suggestions for surviving parenthood. <laughs> it's a tough job, one that nobody wants to fail at, and no one ever plans on raising an axe murderer. I've never met a mom who lies in bed at night envisioning ways to mess up her kids. Not normal moms, at least, that doesn't happen. I have, however, met lots of moms, lots of dads, lots of parents who can't sleep at night because they worry, and they ask themselves a thousand questions Questions like this, where did I go wrong? How could my son make such a terrible and horrific choice? What does my daughter see in that guy? Or maybe you've wondered, I raised my son, my daughter, in the, the, the Lord. I did my best, and yet he or she doesn't want to have anything to do with God or the church today. What's wrong? The struggle is real. The doubts can be crippling, and the personal ag ag agony can actually be very devastating to a lot of us. I have some very good friends who live in California. And I've known them for a long time. They're good people. They love God. Uh, and before they even had their first kid, in fact, when she got pregnant, turned out it was going to be a boy, but when she got pregnant, they started reading parenting books because they really wanted to do a good job. It, it always surprises me how we force people to go to school to learn how to drive a car, but we'll let anybody be a, a mom or dad. But you know, that's another issue. But they said, no, we're gonna, we want to do this well. So they got several really good books, and they devoured them, and they read them, and they read them to each other. And then they went to a parenting conference that my wife and I taught, which is where we actually started to get to know these people. And they're amazing, wonderful couple. They really are awesome. But several years into their parenting, um, things began to get a, a struggle with their second son, their, their youngest son. And everything that they tried to do to raise their boys in the nurture and admonition of the Lord uh, ended up becoming uh, a, a point of frustration for them. Their oldest son, when he grew up, became a worship leader at his church. In fact, today, he's leading worship at a church in San Diego. Their youngest son, their second boy, the one that they always had some struggles with, today he's uh, not only far from God, but he's a drug addict, and they don't even know where he's at. Both boys raised in the same home. 
Both boys raised with loving, godly parents. Both boys came from the same genetic pool. One is a godly man and the other is not. And what's terribly frustrating for me as a, their friend is that they've been told some things by well-meaning Christians. And they've been, they've been told this, well, you know, if you'd just done a better job of raising your boys. Now, they never were told that directly, but that's what was implied. If you'd just done a better job of raising both your boys, then you wouldn't be in this mess. Nothing like adding a little guilt and shame to their frustration. Others have said, again, well-meaning Christians have said, well, don't worry, you raised your, your sons in the, in the Lord, and, and the promise of God is that that, that prodigal is going to return someday. It'll be okay. So on the one hand, they get blasted by perhaps self-righteous people who just say, you should have, should have done better. And then on the other hand, they've got friends, again, well-meaning friends, spouting off what I believe, and I need you to listen carefully today. We're going to walk through this, and I need you to understand where I'm coming from, so don't tune out. But the other side of the coin is they've been told by well-meaning friends of false belief. Well, you raised him in the Lord, just wait, he'll come back, it'll be okay. And here's the dumb thing that some smart people believe. Raising kids in a godly home guarantees me godly children. That is a false belief. And if you listen today, I hope you'll understand where I'm coming from and why I say that. But that's a dumb thing that some smart Christians believe. Well, if I just do the right thing, then they'll never go wrong. If I raise my kids in, in the Lord, a godly home guarantees godly children. Well, here's the truth. God doesn't promise your kids will never fall away. There is no promise. There's no guarantee in the scriptures. You can do all the right things, which by the way, none of us do. And you can be the smartest, best, most spiritual person on the planet, which none of us are. And your kids can still go completely sideways and become a mess. So where does this, what I call false idea, false belief come from? That if we just raise them right, they'll never go away or, or that they'll come back. Well, it's found... This is what they quote, it's in Proverbs 22, verse six. I'm gonna read the King James Version to you. Proverbs 22, six says this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've heard that a thousand times. The NIV says it this way. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now some of you might be thinking as I read it, aha, see Bubna, I knew that was in the Bible, you're wrong, it's a promise from God. And again, realizing, boy, you should have been the first service. I burst some bubbles, and I didn't, you know, that's not my intent today, but I do want you to have realistic expectations and understand the scriptures. And let me tell you some very, a couple of very important things that, that about this fairly well-known verse that, that you need to understand, this fairly well-known and widely misunderstood verse. Widely misunderstood. To begin with, there are some theologians, Bible scholars, who believe this Hebrew phrase found in the Old Testament is referring to training that aligns with a child's unique personality, their giftedness, and their natural bent. When the scripture says, train a child up in the way that he should go, many Bible scholars, and I agree with them, mean that this translation would best be put, train them up in the way that aligns with who they are, their unique personality, their giftedness, and their natural bent. And as they grow old, they won't depart from that. In other words, one of the jobs as a parent is to know their child, Duh. to know their kids, and to encourage them to grow and develop and who God has made them to be and who God has destined them to be, that we need to look at the natural gifts and the supernatural gifts eventually, but the things that God has poured into them to help them become that, that person that God meant for them to be. For example, if your kid's a natural, gifted musician, and from a little age, they've been plunking away on the piano and they just love music, don't try to make that you know, kid, especially if he's four foot nothing and clumsy, into a football star. Won't work. The Bible says, 
dis, dis, determine, decide what's their natural bent, what's their uniqueness, and encourage that, help that develop. Still, some disagree. I'm, believe me, I'm very aware of this. And they passionately point out the value of spiritual training and development. And so they interpret this passage to imply training in godliness. Now, of course, listen, the Bible's clear on this. Very clear. I'm reading a passage in a moment. It makes it clear. We absolutely have the responsibility to instruct our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in the training and instruction of God in his ways. Ephesians 6, 4. If you want to look it up later. Yes, we do. However, let me explain a few things that you might not know. First, Proverbs 22, 6 is a proverb, not a promise. It is a proverb, not a promise. Proverbs are wise sayings and instructions for life that offer general counsel and guidance. They're wise sayings. They give us some instruction. It's a, here's the best way. Here's the godly way to live and to function. In fact, the dictionary definition of proverb, I'll just give it to you. It says, a short, pithy, I like that word pithy, a short, pithy saying in general use, stating a general truth or piece of advice. A proverb is a general truth, a general guideline, a way that it's a smart person will live this way. On the flip side, promises are absolute guarantees that you can bank on no matter what. When God does make a promise, you can bank on it. The book of Proverbs does, in fact, offer amazing insight and wisdom. It does. Proverbs are, however, not to be taken as absolute and universal promises or pledges from God. That's not what they, intended, they were intended for. They're Proverbs, not promises. I would venture to say that there's probably no one in this room or watching online that has read the book of Proverbs more than I have. For decades, decades, I have read a chapter in Proverbs almost every day. 31 chapters in Proverbs. Part of my Bible reading is if it's May 8th, I read chapter 8 of Proverbs. And I've done this over and over and over again many, many times. And when I've gone through it, especially in the early years before I begin to understand what I'm trying to communicate to you today, I get really frustrated. I'd read something like Proverbs 11:8 that says the righteous person is rescued from trouble and it falls on the wicked instead. And I'd read that and I'd go, time out, God. I know that the righteous are not always rescued. There's a, millions of Christians who've been martyred for their faith. And there's a lot of times that the wicked seem to succeed. Uh, that doesn't seem like a promise to me. Then there's this proverb found in Proverbs 10:4: Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Wise counsel, true, diligent hands, that's the way we should be. That's wise guidance. But again, I've read this in times past, and I go, hello, God? Uh, it doesn't seem that this is really true, that sometimes the diligent lose it all, and sometimes the wicked strike it rich, and they win the Mega Millions lottery ticket or the Powerball. And I've, more than once I've had conversations with God, God, what about this righteous, diligent passer? How come I never win? I never have won. <laughs> But why? Because this is a proverb. It's, a, it's, an, it's an application to this is the way we should live, diligent. It's not a promise that we're always going to be fat and happy. The book of Proverbs is called Proverbs for a good reason. Wise general counsel about the way we should live life. Okay, just for fun. Let's say you think I'm crazy. And you insist on holding on to Proverbs 22, 6 as a promise from God. Okay, well, let me ask you this. How did the words, when he is old and he will not depart from it, become, when he is old, he will always come back? I posted a blog this week that's similar to what I'm teaching on today, and one of the ladies responded to, I didn't mention or get into, I don't have time in a blog, Proverbs 22, 6, 
And she replied in the comment, you know, great bog, thanks for writing this, but isn't it good to know that God's given us the promise of Proverbs 22, 6? This is common, common belief among a lot of Christians. But guys, just think it through with me. When did the words, when he is old, he will not depart, become when he is old, he will always come back? And if you think that Proverbs 22 is a promise, I can promise you that's not what it says. There's no guarantee that here that your prodigal son or daughter will return. There's none. Here's some facts. Every son or daughter is born with a sin nature. Every one of us is born with a, a sin nature. Every child has a propensity to be self-centered and sinful, to live, to live in a sinful way. Every person on the planet. We all are prone to wander because of this crazy thing God gave us called free will. I've said it before, if I was God, I would not have given us free will. What a stupid idea. The guy says, no, I don't want robots, I want relationship. And so God has given us all, all, including your children, the right to choose. You can and should raise your child in the best home and in the best and most godliest way possible. Absolutely. But listen to me, I wanna lift a burden off of some of you moms today. You are not responsible for the choices your grown children make. You're not. You can do everything right and your child can still go terribly wrong. And if you believe that Proverbs 22 is, and 6 is a promise from God, then one of two things is bound to happen. You're either gonna get really depressed and think, what did I do wrong? It says raise a child in the way that he should go. I must not have done it right. Or you're gonna get really angry and bitter at God. God, what's wrong with you? You promised me and I, don't believe, I can't believe that my kid's this far gone. You can do everything right, but your, your, your child can still go terribly wrong. Now, let's move to the next little thing I wanna address and there's some takeaways that I want you to leave here with today. Here's the first one. Parents are responsible for how they raise their kids. I'm not saying you have no responsibilities. You are responsible for how you raise your children, but not always to blame for how your children turn out. You absolutely, I'm, right now it's true moms and dads, but it's Mother's Day, so I'm talking to moms. You absolutely have great influence, amazing influence, and you have a great duty. You do, to raise them to do the best you can. But ultimately, you are not responsible for their choices. The final outcome is in their hands. Yes, while your kids are growing in your home, it is your responsibility to raise them in the faith, to do the best you can. Moses spoke this to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6, verse four through nine. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus quoted this as the great commandment. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Verse seven of Deuteronomy 6 says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, some of the Israelites took that literally, and they would literally wear boxes with scriptures on their foreheads. Moses' point here is that integrate faith into every part of your life. Don't just do church an hour, an hour on Sunday and call it good. Hello? Integrate. It's, it's our responsibility as a parent to look for opportunity. And this doesn't mean we're preaching the Bible at them all the time. It doesn't mean you're having devotions every day and all day and, and for the next 10 hours we're gonna have a Bible study from the book of Ecclesiastes. That's not what it says. It says as you walk along the road, as you travel, as you go, when you rise up, when you get to sit down, when, whenever and however you can, integrate God and God's godly principles into the life of your children. Passing the spiritual torch of faith is absolutely top priority for every Christian parent. 
which, by the way, is one of the reasons why I encourage you to get involved in Awana, get involved in Adventureland. There's no better place for you to help do that than at least once or twice a month to show your kids, hey, this matters, I'm here to help you. But if your child wanders from the faith, it is not to be assumed that you are a terrible parent. My friends in California were unfairly judged by their well-meaning friends because they had a wayward son. They were unfairly judged as bad parents, not even close to being true. Not even close. We do the best we can. We do have responsibility. But our children make free choices. They make their own choice. They make their own path. Now, having said that, let's transition here. Admittedly, there are some Christian parents who have good reason to feel badly. Things like hypocrisy, uncontrolled anger, being a poor role model, hyper-control or the opposite extreme, absentee parents, not even being around. Without question, those things and many others negatively impact your children. My dad, as I've mentioned many times before, was a pastor. Most of the years I was growing up, he was a pastor. And my dad was also a prescription drug addict for most of my life, an alcoholic for most of my life. Uh, he was a physically abused his children, which way beyond a reasonable and rational discipline. And he was also a womanizer. On the good-bad scale of parenting, my dad was horrible. Now, good news is, the last three years of his life, God did amazing things in him, healed our relationship, and when he went to be with the Lord, it, we, I, I, I mourned that day. But my dad was a horrible and hypocritical model. I, you know, PKs, preachers, kids, we, I was like sit in front, me and my three, two brothers and my baby sister, always in the front row, and they didn't have Adventureland back then, they had Sunday school, and then we had to sit there and be bored to tears in church, and I had to sit in the front row, and I would listen to my dad, I can't tell you how many times I thought to myself, what a stinking liar. Kids are way smarter than we give them credit for. I figured this out probably seven or eight years old. Uh, my dad says this, and he does this. Not good. But listen, I'm still responsible for my choices. I am. That being said, though, okay, let's just say, well, maybe I made a lot of mistakes before I came to know Jesus, or maybe even as a Christian I made a lot of parenting mistakes. What do you do if you've blown it? What do you do? Well, here's the second takeaway. Own it if you've blown it, but don't get stuck under a cloud of shame. Own it if you've blown it, but don't get stuck there. Parenting is tough. There's no such thing as the perfect parent or the perfect family. I guarantee you, that does not exist. My youngest son, Isaac, when he was, I don't know, four or five, six years old, I don't remember, but somewhere in there, uh, took up coloring uh, with crayons on everything. And uh, I came home one day and, and uh, my wife said, you know, he drew a mural on the bedroom wall, his bedroom wall above his bed. And we had not really given him that boundary before and so I didn't discipline him. First time I sat down and said, son, see that? Never do that again. Don't do that, don't go there, that's not good. You know, crayons are for paper, or for drawing on your sister, don't draw on the wall. And, and uh, do you understand? Yes, daddy. Okay, you're not gonna do that again? No, daddy. All right, good, thank you, son. I don't know, a week or so goes by and I came home and I'm walking by his room and I look in the room and sure enough, and the, like the weekend before I had cleaned it and painted the wall, fresh new paint, and I walk by the room and I look and boom, there's another drawing, a mural of sort, on the wall above his bed and I went ballistic. I mean uncontrollable anger. I started screaming, I had a bad day and so I took it out on, on him and I'm yelling and I'm yelling on, and, and he's trying to say, Daddy, he's trying to interrupt me and I wouldn't listen. I said, How many, I've told you this and you're gonna, I'm gonna beat you until you're, and I was just on and on and on and on and on and on. And finally my wife comes in, the merciful, kind, quiet one. She says, honey, what's going on? 
I said, do you see what that son of yours did? You know how we always blame the parent, the other parent, when it's, they screw up? We take the credit when they do good, we blame the others when they do bad. Do you see what that son of yours did? And she says, honey, it was not him, it was Robbie, the neighbor boy. Ugh. I felt horrible. I felt, I mean, I lost it. I was uncontrolled anger. I said mean things. I falsely accused my son. And when I realized that, you know, that I'd done that, I felt terrible. But listen to me. Failure as a parent does not disqualify you as a mom or dad. Can I get a thank you, Jesus, out of anybody? It doesn't disqualify you as a mom or dad. What disqualifies you is when you refuse to repent, when you refuse to own it, when you blow it. Just own it. When I realized how foolish I'd been, I got down on my knees and I looked my son in the eye to eye and he's still sobbing, you know, and tears running down his face. And I said, honey, daddy is so sorry. I was wrong to falsely accuse you. I was wrong to yell at you. I was wrong to not listen to you. Will you forgive daddy? <laughs> yes, daddy. I'll never forget it. It was one of my worst moments of my life as a parent, which turned out to be one of those great opportunities to show your kids Hey, I blow it, but I, I can repent. Own it if you've blown it. Jay Kessler, who is a great author, once wrote this. He said, parents are too often like concrete, all mixed up and permanently set. <laughs> Don't be that mom or dad. If you fail, when you fail, ask God to forgive you. Forgive yourself and ask your child to forgive you. Ask God, oh, Father, I've failed again. I repent, forgive me. Forgive yourself and then ask your kid to forgive you. Confess your sin and then move forward. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of most of the stuff. No, all unrighteousness. That's what it says. Confess your sin and move forward. Like I said, there's no such thing as a perfect mom or dad. So don't deny your failings, but don't live with unrealistic expectations either. One of the great lessons you can teach your children and you can teach them this when they're little, you can teach them when they're old. Through personal example, you can show them the model of humble confession and a contrite heart. Humble confession and a contrite heart. Quoting David from Psalm 32, the Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 4, 7. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. What a great verse. Blessed, fortunate, happy are those whose transgressions, their sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. You fail, they fail, we fail. But failure doesn't have to be the end of the story. That's the good news. It doesn't have to be the end. Here's the third takeaway, the final thing today. The best way to sway a wayward child is to pray and stay. The best way to sway is to pray and stay building, or in some cases repairing, or maintaining a relational bridge to your wandering child is of the utmost importance. When your son or your daughter goes that way, and they're running as fast as they can from God and probably from you, the, the priority for you is to maintain a relational bridge to that kid. As I've said many times before, it doesn't matter how right you are if you're not being relational. It doesn't matter. Well, I'm right and that kid's wrong. I can't, I, he's absolutely screwing up. It's all his fault. That may be true. But it doesn't matter how right you are if you're not being relational. The, the thing that matters most is that you find a way, build a way to, to repair or to maintain a relational bridge to that child no matter what. If you have a son or daughter who's far from God, and maybe even far from you, it does not work to attempt to shame your child into change. Have you figured that out yet? Doesn't work. It does not work to attempt to control or force good choices on your child. Of course, I'm talking to your teenagers or adult children, but it doesn't work. 
It does not work to attempt to argue your child into better behavior. Have you tried doing that? Arguing with them to try to make him better? It doesn't work. It won't work. Trust me, I know because I was that child. I was that kid in my early 20s. Far from God, hating everybody and everything. It doesn't work. But what does work is that you build, repair, maintain a relational bridge. You do everything you can to, to, to maintain peace with that child. Paul wrote Romans 12, do everything you can to live at peace. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. It applies to all our relationships, but it certainly applies to our children as well. Build, repair, maintain a bridge. The best thing you can do is pray. Pray your guts out and then stay the course as you model godliness to your son or your daughter in an authentic and genuine way. Again, I know from firsthand experience that God hears the cries of a mom. I know that. I know in large part the reason why I'm here today is because my mom never gave up on me and she prayed her guts out. But I know I broke her heart. But Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. So even when you're in your absolute worst distress ever, the truth is you're not alone. God is there. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. So what can we do? Well, like I said, we pray and pray hard. But in addition to that, let me give you some things that you can model. I'll punch through this quickly. Here's some things that you can model for your child. Show them the unconditional love of God. Show them the unconditional love of God. Now that doesn't mean there are no boundaries. That doesn't mean if your kid's, you know, grown adult, 29 years old, living in your house, and, and you, you know, you just let them smoke pot in the basement, that does, even though I guess that's legal now. It doesn't mean if it's your home, you, you can have boundaries. It doesn't mean there are no boundaries. What it does mean is that there's no limits to your love. They know there's nothing, and they need to know this. There is not one thing you can say or do that's ever gonna change the fact that I love you, son. I love you. I love you, daughter. Peter wrote that love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter 4, 8. Love covers. And it's, it's, that's that relational component. Show them the unconditional love of God. The second thing you could do is practice the lifestyle of mercy and forgiveness. Practice. I love that word, practice. It means that it takes a while to get good at it. You learn anything, it takes a while to become proficient at it. Practice what? A lifestyle. What does that mean? It means we, a way of life, that we walk in this, of mercy and grace. You forgive them as you've been forgiven by God. Colossians 3.13. Forgive it as you've been forgiven. And in fact, I would encourage you to forgive in advance of the offense. You might be sitting here thinking or watching all I think, well, you know, right now things are pretty good and, and I think we're good and my kid's fine and you know, there's no, nothing between us. There will come a moment. There will. When they will say or do something that will hurt or offend you, that will disappoint you. Forgive in advance. You know what that means? That means decide right now that when he does that again or whenever, or she does that or says that again or whenever, I've already chosen God. I forgive them. We send our forgiveness ahead of them. We forgive in advance. Practice the lifestyle of mercy and forgiveness. And one last practical thing you can do is decide to speak well of your son or daughter. Decide to speak well of them. Bless them with your words of affirmation. Proverbs, another proverb from Solomon is that there's a power of life and death in our tongue. And I want you to remember that, that you have power with your words. You know, even the most messed up kid on the planet still is made in the image of God. And then because of that, no matter how far gone they are, no matter what they're doing, they're always of great value to him and therefore of great value to us. Affirm them. Find something to say, listen, I, I, I'm 
grateful for this in your life. I'm thankful for you. And Jesus said in Luke 6, 28, that even when someone is mean to us, he said, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Luke 6, 28. Now, of course, Jesus in context is dealing with when we're persecuted for our faith. But it's a principle that applies across the board. In all our relationships, wouldn't this radically change the way our world lives? Can you imagine the political nature of our country today, how different it would be if they just practiced this? Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. I am so fed up. I'm not even going to go there. This will radically change the nature of all your relationships, and it will absolutely change the way you relate to your children. Bless them. Without reservation or hesitation, treat your child no matter what, like they are special, even when they don't act like it. Be a blessing in their lives. When I was in my prodigal days, far from God, breaking my mom's heart, my wife's heart, being as stupid as stupid is, I was just, I was so far out there. I ran into my uncle. I don't really remember what it was now. I don't remember why. But my uncle Don, it's my dad's oldest brother. And he's, he's, always been a hero in my mind. But right my Uncle Don and I was just messed up. I was really messed up. I'd far from everything. And my Uncle Don, he stopped, and he, he was shorter than me, he put his hands on my shoulders and said, nephew, I just want you to know I believe in you. I wanted to hit him. What do you mean you believe in me? I miss what's going on in my head. What do you mean you believe in me? Do you have any idea what I'm doing, how stupid I've been? I, don't tell me you believe in me. I just don't want to hear it. And yet there was something in me that was like, it cracked this hardness in my heart, my soul, to hear from my uncle, listen, I believe in you. He wasn't saying, I believe in what you're doing. He says, I believe in your potential. I believe in what God wants to do in, in you. I believe you are value to God and to me. I believe in you. Be that mom. Be that dad. Speak that blessing into their lives. Raising kids in a godly home does not guarantee you godly kids. And if I burst a bubble today, if you feel like, man, how could you take away my promise of Proverbs 22, 6? I've been holding on to that for years. Listen, I want you to hold on to this. Realistic expectations. And I want you to, to do the best you can. I want you to stop beating yourself up, to not live in the, I must have done something wrong. I could have done better. It's not my fault. Or God, I blame you. I'm angry at you. Don't go there. And focus more, a lot more, on being that godly, caring mom or dad that your children are drawn to because of your example and because of your undying love. Let there be something about your life that says, wow, I can't believe my mom still loves me. They may never say that, those words to you. It may be decades until they do. But they'll know it. They'll feel it. They'll sense it. Be that mom. One last story. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to wrap this up. I mentioned my mom and my dad's situation and how horrible it was. And the family I grew up in was very dysfunctional. The thing that was always amazed me about my mom was even as a little boy, I would listen to my dad speak down to her, verbally abuse her. I would see what he was doing. I figured out as a teenager, my dad was messed up. And I, it just, and I watched my mom for years, for years, keep her head above the fray. I watched my mom take the high road. I watched my mom be a woman of faith, a woman who trusted God and who believed in him and held on to him. When there was a lot of things that could have turned her into a bitter, mean, ugly woman, that's never where she went. My mama kept her head above the fray, always. 
because of our love for God and our confidence in him. I want to encourage you to be that mom. All right, let me pray for you. Jesus, I ask you today to bring some hope and healing to hearts, especially in moms where they have felt guilty or ashamed or angry at themselves, that today you would just set them free. And that they would no longer carry the weight of their children's choices. Lord, I know that doesn't mean they're going to not care. They'll, of course they'll care. But Lord, I pray today that they'll leave here knowing that uh, they don't have to carry that burden, that you've already got it. Some of them, Lord, um, have been angry at you. We've blamed you. We've, we've held this promise, what we thought was a promise, against you. Said, so God, why haven't you done something in the life of my child? Why, why are they still so far from you? And God, we, we confess our bitterness and our anger towards you today. And that's not a healthy place. That's not a place that you want us to be. And so we surrender, Lord. I pray that moms right now are surrendering their children again to you and their hearts to you. And that they're putting their focus and their attention on you and you alone. And then, Lord, help us. Help the moms, help the dads, help the parents, help all of us to just be more like you. To build those relational bridges, to care for people, the children in our lives the way that you do, and to just trust that, Lord, prayer works, time, faithfulness, modeling life, and that those seeds, Lord, those moments, that, that there is that opportunity given then to the Holy Spirit to begin to work in the life of our children. And I do pray, Lord, I pray right now for all the sons and daughters, the grandsons and granddaughters represented through this, this gathering here. I pray for them, Lord. I pray that you pursue them right now. No matter how far they are, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've wandered, that I know you're there. You're right there, knocking on their heart's door, inviting them to come to you. You're watching for them. Just like the prodigal father watched for his son, you're watching for them, Lord. Give us that hope. Give us that confidence in you, that you care more about our kids than we even do. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. In fact, maybe you're a prodigal son or daughter. <laughs> you just realize, wow, I've been breaking my mom's heart, my dad's heart. It's time for me to come home. And you get it. You don't want to live that way anymore and you want to return to relationship with God the Father. Or maybe you're here and you've never started your walk as a Christ follower, but today is that day, you, this, this day, this Mother's Day, 2016, you say, yep, it's time for me. I get it. I need a Savior. If that's you, I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. I'm going to ask you just to make this prayer yours right now. Father, forgive me. I have sinned. I have failed. I need a Savior. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need forgiveness. I need what Jesus did for me on that cross. I get it. I need you. And so right now, right here, I surrender my life. I surrender my all past, my present, my future. I surrender everything to you. And right here in this moment, I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. I declare my love for you. Thank you for loving me. Now if that's you, you're on way to say, yep, God, today's the day, and that's me. And the Bible says that moment you say yes, you become his child forever. You're not only the child of your mom or your dad, you're now the child of the fathers. Thank you, Lord, for those making that decision right now. 
but help all of us leave here today ready to walk in freedom, to walk in the joy, knowing that you love to work in our lives and that you will continue to do so. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I want to finish with one last song. Uh, I love this song. And part of the words are make a way where there is no way. For some of you, this would be a prayer today. Let's sing this together. I'll come back and wrap it up. Moms matter. You matter a lot. You have great influence, potential for great impact in the life of your children. But you have very little, if any, control over the choices that they make. So what do you do? Pray hard. Stay the course. Be the mom they need. And surrender them to Jesus. He loves them more than you do. He really does. I hope you feel encouraged today. I hope I haven't burst a bubble that says, you took away my promise. No, just see it from a different perspective. And have realistic expectations of what God can do, what he will do, and then pray that way. See, part of my concern is that we, some moms, almost get a little lazy. It's like, well, I've got this promise from God that he'll bring them back, and so we put the responsibility on him. No, you know, that's not a promise. And in some ways, by doing that, we take a little bit of the pressure off ourselves you still have a great responsibility all the days of their life to be that mom they need, to be that one woman standing in the gap for them. If you need prayer today, prayer time would be down front, so don't go that way, come down front. Communion is always available on both sides of the room. If you'd like to take communion today before you go. My hope, my prayer is that you'll go and celebrate moms. Celebrate your mom today. I know some of you uh, don't have a mom. She's gonna be with Jesus, but you can still celebrate her and the gift she was to you. So go today. Celebrate moms. Enjoy your day. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. See you next Sunday.